Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word and to find hope. Lord, we're so thankful for another really odd example in our text tonight. And Gideon, just a reluctant person. And he had everything going for him, Lord, for at least in terms of your will, God. And he just still kept pushing back in some way. And God, I like that he's in the Bible because that's me. And that's many people listening to my voice right now. They have their own trust issues with you, God. And, and 2020 has only heightened those trust issues. And so we just, we just pray for this time that we get here tonight in Judges chapter 6 and 7. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I had, a, I had a time where I was in a fraternity in college, and towards the very end, I and fraternities have rushes. And so we have like pledges, and we have a, 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 the big thing every year at a frat house is to make sure you get a new pledge class. And so towards the end, I was the house chaplain, and you know, go figure. And so they, the guys realized that I was a person of faith. It's like, okay, yeah, well, you know, we, we want to make you a chaplain. There's no real religious feature to it, but we have to have a chaplain, so it might as well be you. But one of the functions of a chaplain is he comes alongside and assists with the pledges. And we went out on some, I don't know, some big pledge event with some kind of nature walk, and we did trust falls. And, and it, it, there's, there's this one event that I'll never forget. And it just reminded me of just the fact that I'm a large man. Okay. It was one of those things where we had to get across. There's a little obstacle course. We had to navigate the obstacle course and think of it like the floor is lava. You can't touch the floors. So you got to navigate on all these little things and you're blindfolded or, or at least one at a time you're blindfolded. So there was this one obstacle where we had to cross this chasm and the chasm was just, you know, a few couple feet off the ground, maybe not, no, no big dangerous thing, but you had two boards you had a long board and you had a shorter board and you had to navigate those boards in such a way that it was some people standing on this side and the other people standing on the other side that you can get everybody across the board and, and everybody worked out just fine. And then it finally got to me. I was going to be the hard one because I'm a large man and like, okay, we got this. They're like, they, they called me JB like JB, we got this. We all did it. We figured out the trick. Here's what you got to do. Now, JB was cheating. I was cheating because I was supposed to be blindfolded, but I, I wear glasses. And so I was able to you know, adjust things just a little bit where I could look straight down. My glasses pushed the blindfold just a little bit away from my face, and I could look down and kind of see where my feet are and make it like I wasn't doing it. Yeah, good chaplain. Cheat, why don't you? Well, that's what I was doing. And I realized that the guys had it wrong. And the way they told me to go, it wasn't going to work. And I just, and they're like, come on, JB, you got this. You got this. You can just trust us. You've got, we've, we got, we, our eyes are open. Yours are closed. We, you, you'll get this. Just come on. And I'm like, guys, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I just don't have a good feeling about this. I'm not telling him. I'm looking at my feet. I'm seeing what's going on. I don't have a good feeling about this. And eventually I'm like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I trust you and we're all good. And I take one step out there crack. I broke the board in half. 
they did it right for everybody else, but they didn't quite figure out me and to get me across. And the guy doing the low ropes course or whatever, he's over there going, well, uh, I guess that's the first time that's happened. Well, it kind of made me feel great as a fat guy at that point. I'm sorry I broke your board, you know, but it, what, it couldn't have been an I told you so thing because I wasn't supposed to know. So I had to keep my mouth shut and go, well, we tried guys. You know, I'm, I'm glad, I, you know, you called me to trust you and I trusted you and I got to play it up. And it wasn't that great of a moment in terms of my faith. But thinking about it, it's kind of a Gideon moment. We're going to get there. The more I read this text, the more I thought about me cracking that board. And, well, you can see at the top of the page, you've got the screen share going on there. Uh, we're in Judges 6 and 7. There's this cycle, and it's in the Judges. Israel's apostasy, Yahweh, or the Lord God, his anger, then Yahweh's compassion, and then Israel's apostasy again. So it all starts with Israel's apostasy. We just had Deborah and Barak last week, and the land had peace. And then all of a sudden, well, what's going to happen here? One, we're in a, the God in Israel, one to ten. Start with one to five. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples evaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Well, my goodness. You know, there's irony there. Because all these groups, these tribes, the Amalekites, the Midianites, those are nomadic peoples. Those are people who are living in tents. And here, they're living like Israelites, and the Israelites are living like nomads because they're driven up into the caves. They turn against God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and God unleashed this frustrating hell upon them. My goodness. And that is such a bleak picture. Could you imagine? It sounds like one of those cheesy cartoons where the, the, the bully keeps, keeps on taking all the kid's lollipop or something. And no matter what the kid does, the bully gets the lollipop. When this is your entire economy, your whole world is going to have these crops and the Midianites, it's like the ants and the grasshopper or something. It's coming in. <clears throat> My goodness. So Israel's apostasy, Yahweh's anger. And then 6 to 10, the cry of the sinner and response of God. Midian so impoverished the Israelites they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. What? Well, that's odd. That hasn't happened before. Now, last week, he did send a prophet. Her name was Deborah. But her role was to kick Barak in the rear and get him going. Mm. This prophet here is, um, well, what's he going to do? Yeah, the prophet said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. 
And then here comes the great law and order moment. Dun, dun. But you have not listened to me. So Deborah came to get Barack going. This guy, who doesn't even get a name, he's coming to play grand jury and indict Israel. Oh, like your God's been faithful to you and gave you one rule and you didn't do it. And here you're in your situation. The cry of the sinner and the response of God. Wow. Think about that. Place yourself in Israel's shoes. You see, they had one responsibility, and that was not to be swayed by the philosophies and the culture around them. The materialistic world that the Canaanites lived in and all their philosophies. And the number one philosophy is you scratch God's back and God's expected to scratch your back. That's why they had statues and idols. And you care for the idol and then the idol cares for you. There's an implicit manipulation in life and you can manipulate your way to success. And life is all about manipulating things. But that's not God. That's not the way God works. So I want you to think about yourself for just one second here. What philosophies of this world that you know are bad, that you know are selfish and sinful, but you keep holding on to? Because it's one thing to read about Israel not, not doing it, but what if this prophet was indicting you? Say, God's been faithful in your life, and God expects you to, you know, to be faithful to him, and yet... You're not. You see, we have to ask those kind of things. What is it about you? What is it about me? What is it about us with this culture? I mean, how strong is the allure of our culture that causes us to not want to be different anymore? See, Israel's whole job was to be different. And God called that different holy, separate, set apart. What about you is more like the culture than like God? Just think about that for one second. That's you in this text. That's what the prophet would, would come to say you. And you know what? In spite of all of God's gracious blessings, believers are the same way. We, uh, we were tempted to cling to these things. And I like that God didn't just immediately or robotically respond. God's not some robot where people just cry out and God's like, well, they cried. Here we go. Her, her, her. We're going to send help and, and everything's going to work out. And, you know, I had to wait for them to cry out because I had to make sure they knew, they knew what they were up against. And maybe they'll feel bad about what they did. But now that they cried out, it's like we want to turn that to 1 John 1, 9. Okay, God, I'm going to confess my sins. And once I confess my sins, God, you're contractually obligated. I've got you over the barrel now, God, because I did what your Bible said to do. And see, the problem with that is that that's the letter of the law, but that's not the spirit of the law. My heart is not in that verse. And that was most of my young adult life. I would toss 1 John 1, 9 in God's face and say, God, I know I sinned again, but I'm going to confess again. And then I'll be able to go to sleep tonight because I've confessed. No, that's not at all a heart of repentance. Not at all. So I like that God's not a robot here. That God doesn't just allow himself to be manipulated. In fact, he sends him a prophet and lays into him a bit before he sends anything else. I like that. I like that you can't manipulate God because the moment you can manipulate God, he ceases being God. 
because he's not the God of 100% power anymore. If you manipulated him, you just told the 1%. Now he's the God of the 99 and you're the one because he owes you something or you scratched his back and he's got to scratch yours or scratch your back. No, we can't manipulate God and expect him to still be God. Because if you manipulate God, you're kind of God a little bit. All right. So we got to get to Gideon, though. So what's this teach about God and man? God can't be manipulated. And man, we want to do it. We want to manipulate. And we, we are swayed by our culture, and we want to hang on to that culture. We want to hang on to those things, and we know we shouldn't. All right, here we go. Yahweh's compassion, 11 to 32, 11 to 18. The angel of the Lord. Yeah, this guy again. This is a theophany. This is God in some form that we're not used to, okay? Because he's going to be described as speaking as God, and yet God, we're told in the book, in the book of 1 John, is spirit. So it's like, God, we're going to get up to heaven, and there's not going to be some old man with a white beard. God's going to be spirit. The only God in the flesh we're going to get to in heaven, at least we take the Bible at face value, is Jesus, because he's the word made flesh. But we got the angel of the Lord here, who's clearly going to be God in some form that is going to interact with Gideon. Here we go. The angel of the Lord came and sat down into the, under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, class, what do we do in a wine press? You've all seen the I Love Lucy episode. They're, they're walking along those grapes. Okay. A wine press presses wine. You thresh wheat in a threshing floor, a threshing room. He's hiding and threshing wheat kind of in a closet somewhere, in a wine press, stuck away so nobody sees him threshing wheat. Was it a smart move? Well, they keep taking their wheat. I mean, I'm sure it was a smart move. Was it a brave move? That's the issue. I don't think it was brave at all. I mean, but the, the text is clear here. He's doing something. And our first, an original reader is going to go, what? What? Mick texted in. Very often in the Old Testament, God sometimes referred as an angel, which simply means that God himself decided to deliver the message himself. There you go. Angel means messenger. You bet. All right. He's in a wine press. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord be with you, mighty warrior. At this point, if we were a live studio audience, they'd be flashing the laughter sign. The Lord be with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> he's threshing his wheat in the wine press. He's hanging out and he's hiding and he's trying to keep it from them. And uh, you're a mighty warrior, are you? And yeah, pardon me, my Lord, getting replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? All right, Gideon, you're going to get all theological with God. You get a conversation with God. And you're going to start tossing life back at God. All right. All right, Gideon. Wow. If the Lord is with us. Because the angel said the Lord is with you. Emmanuel. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. Well, guess what? If Emmanuel, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, do not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Wow. I don't know if the hairs are sticking up on somebody's arm at that point. It's like God's like, 
aren't I behind this? Aren't I sending you? I just told you to go, so go. Wow. Go in the strength that you have. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is, in, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. Oh, Gideon, you're going to start down this path, aren't you? We talked about this last week. You can't play that game with God. Because there, there's... <laughs> You start asking for a sign from God, and then God comes through, you're not going to go, ah, there we go. I knew it. You're God. Yeah. No, you're going to go, okay, you're going to negotiate with me, are you? I want one more sign. I want this now. I don't believe you. I want this now. So you just, you just go down that path. And see, he's going to be going down this path. Mictech saying, God actually calls Gideon mighty warrior, how God sees us because he enables us versus how we see ourselves because we don't know what he knows. That's a good point. Gideon has no idea that God's going to use him. God, of course, does. But God, God's word's going to come true. And Gideon, he, it's like the board's never going to break for Gideon. It was going to break for me unless the guys did it perfectly. When I crossed that little divide, it was going to break. But with God... These are, you know, following guys I'm following here, but this is God. Okay. Well, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. I'm not quite sure this is you, God, talking to me. What's that old Judy Bloom book? Dear God, it's me, Harriet, or Margaret, Margaret, that's it. Uh, my kid's not in a Judy Bloom yet, but yeah, it's, how do I really know it's you, God? I tell you what, if it's you, God, you like to take, you like to have worship. You like to have a sacrifice. So you go wait till I go kill and skin an animal and get it all ready to go. Get the barbecue ready. I know we got to stoke the fire. We got to do all that. You just wait, God. And if, if you're willing to, if you really are God, you're going to wait because you're going to like what I'm going to get from you. Because if you're God, you want me to worship you. And so, yeah, he's probably thinking, but you're not really God. There's no way you're going to wait here. And when I come back, it's going to be an empty room again. And I'm just going to go, oh, whatever, that's life. And I'll have something to tell my family later on. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. It's like God calls his bluff. Boom. Wow. So we've got uh, God's patience with Gideon. God's going to show a lot of patience with Gideon. It's just going to get worse from here. Trust me. Um, any of you who came into this text tonight going, oh, Gideon, I can't wait. I remember studying him in Sunday school. And he had a big army and God said, oh, no, no. Some of you are going to be, you know, lap water with your hands and others of you are going to drink like dogs. And, and I'm going to pick one group. And we always remember this stinking story. That's all we get with Gideon. And then Gideon saved the day, you know, you know, okay, do this guy as a sword of the Lord and the Gideon, boom. And we remember Gideon. Oh, wow. Look how God used Gideon. Gideon. Oh, he's such a bad example, but I'm glad he is because he teaches me with the kind of garbage I pull, and with the kind of garbage I'm sure you pull. Are we like Gideon?
this crappy excuse for a leader that is Gideon, who won't take God's word at face value ever. Gideon, is that you? I know that's been me. Well, we're in uh, God's willingness with Gideon. Yeah, it is. Uh, 19 to 24. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah flour made bread without yeast. So he's in there a while. He is playing housewife and making a, a legitimate meal to put before God. Putting the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. This guy's been making broth. I mean, my goodness. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock. Fire doesn't come out of rocks, everybody. Okay, this is kind of a cool moment here. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, gee, Gideon, what was your first clue? He exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. Wow. That sounds like Jesus, at least two or three times in the New Testament. Peace be still. Do not fear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Daniel texts in, Gideon starts moving the goalposts and God allows him to do that. That shows to me how patient God is with us. That's exactly the point, Daniel. Well done. He's moving the goalposts. Yeah. Well, oh, you're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it uh, Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. So that's uh, the God's willingness with Gideon. Um, is there anything else to say about this one? That Gideon means um, hacker. Like, like someone who, uh, picture someone with a hatchet trying to hack down a tree, a breaker, a hacker. That's kind of not, not like a computer hacker, but it's kind of like I want to hack something down kind of thing. That's what, um, that's what Gideon means. And uh, yeah, Gideon is, Gideon's responses are really terrible. He's cynical. He blames God. He's ignorant. He's, he's even seems like he's blasphemous here. Uh, you're not really God, are you? Because you're all these things are happening to us, God, and some of us are right there. And yet God encourages Gideon. And Gideon tried to avoid responsibility. Uh, we're small. We don't have anything. And we're just, we're just a little dinky people. We're nobody. You couldn't be calling me. You got to call someone from Judah. Why would you call someone from Manasseh? We're so worthless. We're on both sides of the Jordan River. We're, we're divided. We're not even in one spot. Why would you call someone from Manasseh? And I'm a little dinky part of Manasseh. And I'm the, the, the dinkiest person of my tribe. I mean, really? Have you really thought this out? This is like with Moses. Have you thought this out, God? Are you sure? And, and yet his offering to God is all about what he thinks is appropriate. I'll just bring it to, oh, wait, God, I'm going to do, I'm I'm do all this for you, and I'm going to get this thing all figured out. And uh, God just keeps showing grace and grace. He gives him a Mount Carmel moment. Remember Elijah and, and Elisha? No, excuse me, Elijah and, and, and Ahab and Jezebel all up on top of the mountain. And there's, you know, who's God, Baal or God? And, and there's fire. 
we got some, some awesome miraculous fire on this rock cooking the meal. And yet, God just keeps showing grace. There's a tension here between God and, 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 and the foreign substitutes. And yeah, God always has tension with his replacements. Don't replace God with anything. God never likes idols. And he's going to send the, uh, the hacker to go do some hacking. All right. 25 to 32. Gideon's further responses. Here we go. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd. Not the first bull, but the second one, just so you know. Okay. The one that's seven years old. Tear down. Come on, oh, Gideon, you terror downer, you. You breaker, you. You hacker, you. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and hack down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Use the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. The Lord didn't tell him to take 10 guys. This is Gideon being kind of scaredy cat again. Gideon, go do it. He's probably thinking, well, this is the town idol. It's, 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 no one's going to like if I do that. Well, tough. God said do it. So he took 10 guys to go do it. Just, just don't miss that. Okay, Gideon's just not jumping to obey God. Gideon has to do everything his way. Gideon has to do everything. He just, he's, he's like he's codependent. Where he's got to manage every little possible situation to make it fit, to make himself feel comfortable again. God didn't say do that. God said do this, and you did that. Little drops end up filling a bucket eventually, Gideon. I mean, come on. Ah. <sighs> Well, he, he took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but, but because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. It's like God's telling him, we're going to start cleaning house, and we're going to start with your stinking backyard, Gideon. So go to your own backyard and take care of business. And by the way, that preaches. Don't be getting into other people's business unless your backyard is, is clean, unless you've certain been working on your own house. Don't worry about my house quite yet. Focus on yourself for a bit. All right. Well, in the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and the Asherah pole beside it cut down the second bull sacrifice on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. I wonder if Gideon was hiding then too. I don't know. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. Are you going to plead Baal's cause? This is actually a cool moment in the text. All right. I'm just going to say it. I, I, I kind of like Joash. All right. I don't have a lot of like for Gideon. I hope you're reading that. Gideon is just kind of like a uh, he's almost like bum in my eyes. Okay. At this point, he's not starting off very well. And you know, I gotta say, I, I used to have a, a, a mentor of mine and he kind of had to get, a, get a, a metaphorical hose and hose me down a bit. He's like, you know what? Gideon was holding really tough cards. Gideon's whole society was messed up. Gideon was just in a really, really bad situation. And he responded 
badly, but it, don't act like all things were equal and that Gideon should have. I, I'm like, okay, fine, 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 fine. Gideon's in a hard spot. I get it. Uh, the, the terriers are nipping at his heels. I, I'm not going to go all, um, okay, life is hard, so he, he, he gets a pass. But maybe I can't jump on Gideon as much as I used to. But still, Gideon's not being favored. But I like this Joe Ash guy here, all right? You catch this? Are you going to plead Bale's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. I love that. Because <laughs> it's so true. We've been worshiping this Baal guy for how many years? And somebody knocks down his altar? Let's see what happens. Let's see if he's going to stand for this. I mean, if he's a god and all, maybe he's, you know, and Elijah's the same way. Call down Mr. Lightning God, the fire from heaven God. Call him to light down this, this altar and, 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 and burn the sacrifice. And the prophets of Baal are, you know, slashing themselves and crying and wailing, oh, Baal, Baal. And, and Elijah's saying, well, maybe, maybe he's on the potty. Maybe he's asleep. You know, maybe he stepped out for a bit. You know, maybe, come on, maybe he'll get back here. I like what Joe, like, if he's really God, let him handle his, are you going to fight for him? He doesn't need you to fight for him. So many of us want to fight for our God. And we're worried about that. Like, oh, if I don't defend God, then what's going to happen? God's still going to be God. God doesn't need you to defend him. As if he's just waiting for you. Like, okay, maybe he'll stick up for me. Then maybe I'll be able to survive one more day. You know, it's great to give defenses theologically for things. And especially regarding God and like the problem of evil. But God doesn't require it. Like he's going to cease being God if we don't, you know, theologically defend him. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubbabel. That's like a Baal contender. In this corner, we have our champion. In the other corner, we've got the contender, the number one contender. That old movie on the waterfront, I could have been a contender. All right, there it is. It's like the Baal contender, the one who's going up against Baal. There he is. Jerubbabel. Let Baal contend with this guy. Grace and mishuman reactions. It's really hard to believe that God comes through for Israel law. Right? Israel's a jerk when it comes to God. They take advantage of God. They're kind of like olive oil. And they, oh, save me, Popeye, save me. And there's every single time, this whole cycle, they run away from God. And then God gets mad. Bad things happen. They cry out and God delivers them. And then they get fat and happy again and run away from God. It's like, why would... Why would God keep putting up with that? In fact, he even sent them a prophet to let them know about this and to indict them. And it's like they didn't even care. Like, ah, whatever. Yeah, 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 whatever you say, pal. Move along. Why would God ever put up with that? And Daniel sends a great text in, considering any of us, it's a wonder he comes through for any of us. That's right. Mick text that Israel is essentially Hosea's wife. Yeah, just constantly prostituting herself to other people. 
and God substitutes and replacements. And it's again and again. Many Christians still bow to the gods of this world in the areas of their lives. It's, it's any wonder that God still uses you, still has a plan for you. I know that's my story. Oh, Lord, that's my story. I would have chucked me to the curb years ago. So no, I said, oh, heck no. You're going to keep doing that, bowing down to that God, the God of pleasure, the God of selfishness. You're going to keep doing that again and again and again, and you're never going to learn and you treat me and man, treat the cross with contempt by just praying that cheesy prayer every night because you feel guilty. Oh, I would have been on the curb long. I mean, boom. The wages of sin is death. I mean, I would have been dead at that point. So if, if I got what my sins deserve, that's, that's all of our stories, by the way. But yeah, the grace that God shows Israel is shown by what he shows Gideon. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Gideon's lack of faith, he's such a reluctant, fearful person. His lack of faith is seen in his need for signs. And yet, God continues to read. So even if Gideon, even if my mentor is right, you know what, Joel, can it? You know, he's holding tough cards. Fine. But this is God we're talking about here. And God's literally saying, okay, you're afraid, whatever. I'm with you. I will be with you. Let's do this. We got this. I'm with you. I mean, this is literally God reassuring him in the flesh. This is like never happening in scripture before. This way. Gideon is the only judge that's going to be called this way. Miraculously like this. And even then, he's playing every other card he can. God, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah, Philip texted, you can't put the Lord your God to the test. Exactly. Uh, what does God have to do? I mean, the question at this point is, what more does God have to do before Gideon's going to respond in faith and actually trust him? I want you to pause for a second. Think about your life. God's expecting you to trust him. And you're struggling with it. There's something in your life you don't want to trust God with. You're hurting and you're like, God, you haven't come through yet. Or God, I just don't know. What more does God have to do to prove himself to you? Does he have to prove himself to you? What more does God have to do before you're going to respond in faith and actually trust him? I mean, the board broke, but I stepped out there. I knew it was going to break. I took the shame of a fat guy breaking a board, but oh, well. I communicated I trusted my guys, at least. And they got to go, we thought we were going to make it. And I know, I know, it's just life, you know, that's gravity and all that, you know. What more does God have to do with Gideon? Oh, my goodness, it's going to keep getting worse. Okay, God's grace, I mean, been, our reactions are terrible. And if you're, if you're the kind of person you're more like Gideon than less like Gideon, this text ought to be kicking your rear because God's grace – even know how bad you, you are and how bad Gideon is, the point is not so much Gideon, but God. God's amazing, amazing grace. Make text in. The important thing is Gideon, fear and all, does obey, ultimately. He does. And we're going to get there shortly. But yeah, uh, further compassion. 
me scroll the page down here for a second so we can uh, see what's going on here. All right. Setting the stage for deliverance, 33 to 35. Okay. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other Eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So they too went up to meet them. Philip texts in, put your faith in the Lord. Don't lean upon your own understanding. He will make you straight your paths. Amen. The major tension in our story today is God's promises and faith issues. The promises of God and the faith issues of Gideon. Don't forget that. God has made certain promises, and he expects you to trust him. And when you don't trust him, you betray that your lack of faith. It's like, you know, Darth Vader, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Kind of thing. God does too. It is disturbing that you don't show faith to him and trust him. Faith means trust. I would have communicated a lot worse things to my frat brothers by not stepping out on that board. I could have made it really bad. I said, guys, sorry, I looked down. I noticed you guys got it wrong. Or maybe I could have played it off and said, you know, if you guys move that board a few feet this way, and they're probably thinking, well, how would you know that? Oh, I'm just guessing, you know, trying to just make up something. No, the only move I had, even though I still cheated and looked down, was to take that step, even though it broke. It's like just trust. Maybe it wasn't going to break. I don't know. Just boom. And there it was. God's promises and the faith issues of Gideon. Those are the big tension right there. Don't reverse engineer the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? We read the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and we immediately want to go to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, we want, to, we want to go there. So, oh, he was a great spiritual dynamo. Look at that man. He's got the Holy Spirit. He's just a spiritual person. And oh, my goodness. No. Don't take what's given to us in the New Testament and thrust it back into judges. God's Spirit would occasionally come in power upon people to accomplish purposes. It doesn't mean they were great spiritual people. Just remember the Spirit of the Lord is going to come three or four times on Samson. And Samson's like the biggest Bible jerk of all time. And he's, a, he's a horrible example. And we, we keep, we're not even going to remotely think that Samson is a spiritual dynamo or that he's a great man of faith. No, he's a great man of flesh. Samson is going to be the most fleshly of the judges and just the worst of the judges. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon in power. Wow. Just don't reverse engineer the Holy Spirit here. Just because God sends his spirit upon somebody to accomplish something. I mean, Isaiah 12 makes it clearly. Speaking about one day in the future, you're going to draw upon the well of salvation. It's like, it's like Isaiah pictured a day when we were going to draw upon God, like going to the well each day. It's like we're going to draw upon this Holy Spirit in a way that they haven't done yet. It's like what we have as Christians is so much more profound that we are literally temples of the Holy Spirit, where he's not just coming upon us, he's in us. It's like we turn into mobile homes at that point, taking God everywhere we go. 
Like, wow. So don't, don't reverse engineer the Holy Spirit here. Don't go, oh, wow, the Spirit of God came upon Gideon. Boy, he must have been somebody. That, that's not the point. The point is God, God's going to equip him for this task. The Spirit of the Lord is not going to be full-time in Gideon. Daniel texts in, God says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, and God never breaks his promises. Amen. Mick texts in the difference between B.C. and A.D. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, yeah, before Christ, and, and yeah, yeah, it's Jesus in John 14 and John 16 says he's going to leave the comforter here with you, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so this is not, I'm fine with this being the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, fine. But you can throw the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. But it's just not indwelling Gideon like it indwells you, Christian. There's a difference there. I just want you to know that. Okay, it's very tempting to go, oh, Holy Spirit, here he is. Oh, there's Gideon's worst moment coming up here, 36 to 40. Yeah, indwelling is a big word. That's right. That's right. I almost forgot to say it, too. It popped into my head. So I'm glad, I'm glad I remembered that. Thanks, Meg. Oh, Gideon confronts God twice. These are Gideon's worst moments. Gideon said to God, if, oh, if, I hate if. If you're saying if to God, strike that word. Get rid of if and start saying since. If is weak. Since, you're actually making a statement. Well, if I have a problem with this, eh, since I have a problem with this, I need to do this. If is just so weak. If you have ifs, knock off those ifs. Enough of your ifs. If you save Israel from my hand as you have promised, look, he's still struggling here. I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. So he's setting God up for an obvious yes answer. He's actually giving God a chance to back out. Or God, all right, whatever. God's like, right, whatever, dude. Just, just, you're not going to believe me enough. I'll just go do someone else. I'll find some other coward in a, you know, threshing his wheat in a wine press. I'll, I'll deal with this guy. But God did it. Wow. That is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. It's like, it's like he's playing like a Jewish lawyer moment. He's like, oh, I got, hold on. I got to do one more. Just one more. Don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. I mean, I'm not even God. And I want to get the back of my hand going, like, knock it off. Enough already, you know, be done. What's going on here? Allow me one more test with this fleece. But this time, I want you to alter the laws of physics. I want you to do a really big miracle. Watch this. Make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. Be like, lay some bounty paper towel on the floor and start pouring water everywhere. And you got to tell this bounty paper towel, you don't get to suck up any water at all. No, 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 no. Everything else can be wet, but you have to stay dry. Makes no sense at all. That fleece is going to suck water like mad. That paper towel you laid down is going to, you know, the, the quicker picker-upper dude, yeah, it's going to pick up. It's going to be a picker-upper. And so he's like, okay, God, he's going to do a negative test here. The positive test was easy. But the negative test, because, you know, you, you, the, he would suck everything up and everything else would be dry around it. Okay, look at that. Wee, that's easy. 
but now I want you to do this. Yeah, Mick texted in. I'm reading here, Gideon is actually the first person in the Bible to ask God for a sign for himself. Crazy. He's asking for two signs here. Oh my goodness, Gideon, you're killing me, Smalls. Um, don't be angry with me. So that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All around was covered with dew. Gideon, what is your deal? And see, the problem with this is that Gideon already knows what God's going to do. It's not like he's going, I just don't know God, so I'm going to start rolling the dice to see what comes up. And Ooh, I rolled a crit. Now I'm going to win. And he's like playing Dungeons and Dragons with God or something. He's thinking, I got to roll a 10 or higher, and then I'll know what God's going to do. That's how the pagans worshiped. That's how they figured life out. They started rolling dice, or they got into sheep bones. They started looking at tea leaves, or that kind of stuff. I don't know what God's going to do, so let's find out. Gideon knows what God's going to do, and yet he still has to have signs. The point is not Gideon. The point is God. God plays along. And by that I mean keeps showing his grace puts up with Gideon's malarkey again and again and again. Even though the Gideon is clearly actively trying to manipulate God. Now, Pastor Joel, you just said you can't manipulate God. Correct. At least two or three times, God should, God should have been done with Gideon. You don't play that way with God. I don't know why God allowed that. I don't know why God put up with Gideon's garbage. But he did. He did. Because God puts up, as Meg texts in, with our malarkey. He puts up with our garbage. He puts up with our manipulation. Good point to think for a second. In what ways do you manipulate God? In what ways do you say to yourself, well, God, I mean, I know I'm not that grand, but I did do this. God, I've been staying faithful with this little thing. I mean, God, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I mean, I, I'm not saying you got to come through for me, but I'm not going to tell you no if you want to, because I've been doing this. It's really easy to slip into that. The moment you start doing some good things, you kind of begin to believe your own press for a second. Be careful. Be careful with that. Check out this quote I found. No character in, in the entire book of Judges receives more divine assurance than Gideon. And none displays more doubt. Gideon is the only judge to whom God speaks directly. But he's still faint-hearted. Let me say that again. No other character in the book receives more divine assurance than Gideon. And yet no other character in the book displays as much doubt as Gideon. God gives him assurance and he just doubts, doubts, doubts. He's the only judge to whom God actually speaks directly, but he's still faint-hearted. It's like, what does God have to do? What's it going to take for you to actually believe God? Wow. I mean, there's unbelief and there's, there's stubbornness with your unbelief. God's showing grace in the midst of stubbornness. Gideon is just stubborn. What are you stubborn about, my friend? What sin do you hang on to? What idol do you have in your life that you will sin to keep? What is it about you 
I mean, because we can't read this and not personalize it. It's awful easy to criticize Gideon when you've been Gideon. Yeah. In what areas of your life are you stubborn? When you shouldn't be stubborn. Gideon had no business being stubborn. He literally had God in the flesh talking to him, commanding him, eating his meal that he made him. Are you serious? And Gideon, I mean, at that point, Gideon, just go, yes, sir. Whatever you need, sir. Oh, you're God. Okay. I mean, it's like that moment in the Air Force One movie where they realize that it's the president calling from the plane. And the lady on the other line goes, okay, sir, whatever you say. I mean, that's it. At that point, you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I fought with you, God. All these little tests I made you do, I'm so sorry. My bad. I was wrong. Please forgive me. He just keeps going. I mean, the dude just saw fire come out of a rock mix sent in. And that just doesn't happen. Oh, well, things are going to change here a bit. Seven, one to eight. Here we go. Uh, vulnerable position. I like how God's going to right away put him in a vulnerable position. Okay, you're going to have some faith, are you, Gideon? Let's find out, Mr. Doubter, Mr. Stubborn. Let's put you in a spot where you're going to have to trust me. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have shown some faith in the past, but maybe you've been struggling with your stubbornness, and all of a sudden God's going to come through. He's going to put you in a position where you got to trust him. You struggle with trust, and God's going to make you trust. Here you are. Trust. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver into Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. I want to pause and call them ninnies or something like that. But no, this is God directing here. So of course they were going to leave. Here we go. The, the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water. I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took all the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below them in the valley. Far too much ink has been spilled about this. Ooh, let's, let's now figure out what exactly happened there. So the ones who are lapping down, arrows could come by and miss them or something. I used to try to parse this all out. And you read these children's books. Okay, well, here's what God did. God made this happen. And the God took the ones that did this versus the ones that did that. And, that, and so there was some secret code between God and Gideon and the people. And yeah, no, you are overthinking that far too much. I put down here, focusing on the how distracts you from the why and the who. We always want to go, well, here, how did God do it? How did God do it? Who cares? I mean, literally, who cares? The text could have said anything there. 
you know, separate the ones who jump on their one leg and versus two that do jumping jacks. I mean, it, it, it's all nebulous at that point because the point is not what they're doing. It's who's doing it. God. The point is you're not going to get the glory Israel. If you go in there with a bunch of thousands of people and just, you know, gang rush everybody. You got to be 300. You got to be at your weakest. Because when you are weak, then God is strong. If you are ever going to get any glory, then God's not going to. God did not like when Moses stole his glory. The Moses stole God's glory in a key moment and couldn't enter the promised land. Not just some random schlub, Moshe himself. God is serious about his glory. It gave God the most possible glory. To just, I don't even know why God chose 300. That's what God did. He cost 300 to do this. Okay, I'll take them. That's it. Done. The why? Because Israel's not going to boast. The glory is going to go to the Lord. Gideon's going to mess that up too, by the way. He's going to say the very last verse today. For the Lord and for Gideon. Jeez. Killing me, Gideon. You're killing me. You see, Gideon's riding high here. He just, he just passed the two fleece tests. You know, the one, the unnecessary test, and God didn't smite him down. God still put up with him. I was like, whatever, whatever, let's do it. And God came through twice. God allowed Gideon to manipulate him twice to finally obey God. So Gideon's riding high. He's like, I'm playing with house money now. I can't do anything wrong. My goodness. So God's going to hose Gideon down a bit. Yeah, you gather this army. You're not going to take that army. You are going to have to be in a position where you are absolutely weak. Weak, weak, weak. And you're going to trust me because that's the only way it's going to happen. It's like the proverbial, uh, you know, bad parent moment where you just take the kid, throw him in the deep end of the pool and say, well, start doggy pat. You're going to learn to swim somehow. It's like, you just figure it out. You know, don't, don't drown. It's like God just boom. You're going to trust me. I'm going to put you in a position where your only move is trust. That's it. Sorry, Lord. I didn't mean to compare you to a, a bad parenting moment there. Well, a vulnerable position. Dealing with the spear 9 to 14. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it to your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples that settled in the valley, thick as locusts, their camels could do no more, be, could no, no more be counted in the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend the dream. I had a dream, he was saying. No, this is not Martin Luther King Jr. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, have you ever had this moment where you said to yourself, Boy, if I could just be a fly on the wall for that conversation, Gideon literally got to be a fly on the wall, as it were. 
God caused him to go down there. He's like in super secret Jedi mode. He can, no one can see him or hear him or anything like that. And he gets to hear this conversation that, oh, just happens to be talked right then when he got down there. Just happens. And that, and that, and that conversation just happens to mention the very thing that Gideon is freaked out about. Gee, the odds of that happening. Yeah, the odds. I mean, that's akin to Ruth just happened to walk into Boaz's field in the book of Ruth, which, by the way, is happening in the same time in history as this. Because Ruth happened in the time when the judge is judged. But I digress. <sighs> he dealt with Gideon's fear one more time, didn't he? So Gideon responds, 15 to 18. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. Finally, finally, Gideon. Good job. He returned to the camp of Israel and called, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. We got to cut our little, maybe a little bit of break because evidently Gideon's name is in the streets. People know who Gideon is because this random guy with his random friend having a random dream, as it were, and they're not talking about Gideon. They know Gideon, okay? But still, Gideon responds. God's sovereign leading. You see, when God has his sovereign plan, he brings his servants to a moment where all, all of your confidence is stripped away. When all you can do is just humbly adore God. I go, wow, God. Um, God, you beat all odds to accomplish this. How in the world are you going to use 300 people to defeat the big old army? I don't know. But when you do it, I'm going to go, dang, look at God go. Only God could do that. Boom. That's how God sovereignly leads. Pay attention to those moments when God is leading you, when God is calling you to trust him against all odds. Against all odds. See, that happened with me and my little church. We struggled. We struggled. The bills got paid, but we just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And there was times in our journey where people were like, you know what, we, we just don't think this is the right church anymore. We're just going to take off. And we get smaller. And we get some new families come in, and maybe they leave, maybe they don't. But we just keep getting smaller. And it gets more depressing, and we're wondering, and we're getting gray and white hairs in our beards. And, we're, and it was hard being a pastor in those years. Really hard you know, meetings where people are openly questioning our motivations and questioning how we're going to move forward. And maybe we ought to shut our doors in the ministry. And maybe we ought to think about something else and just you know, sell everything and just give it to missionaries or just give up. And just, God is obviously not with us because we just keep struggling and we just can't grow. No matter what we do, no matter how we approach our neighbors, they, they, they seem to like us small and whatever. Nothing seemed to work. For all we could do, was trust God. And we took comfort from such stories like the, the feeding of the 5,000. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, God has a little sack lunch. He takes some kids lunchable and he feeds a bunch of people with it. 
And the moral of that story is God uses what's there for his glory. And God continued to use us as a small, small church. And all we could do was just trust him. Anything that was going to happen with us was going to be because God was going to do something amazing. And we kept holding on to a verse in Galatians of not giving up. Keep doing good for God's people. Keep serving. Don't give up. A harvest is coming. And then one day, we were approached. We were approached by a church who inquired about a merger. And we prayed and we planned and we prayed and we planned. And we just kind of said, okay, God, this is all about you. And we are willing to die as a church. We're willing to be like that grain of seed that Jesus talked about, has to fall to the earth and die before it can grow. We're willing to do that, God. We're willing to put our faith where our church is. We're willing to just end ourselves as we are for the gospel, for your sake. Look for those moments in your life. But the easy answer is probably not the right answer. Where God's calling you to trust in him, where God's expecting you to follow him, where God is arranging your situation, where only he's going to get the glory. Don't push back like Gideon. I hate to say it, Gideon's story is going to get a little bit more awkward next week. But we had to get to this opening salvo, this part one of Gideon. Because God's sovereign plan, God sovereignly leads us, even when we do boneheaded things, even when we refuse to trust him, even when we refuse to follow him. We're not the sovereign ones, God is. And that gives us hope. God knows what he's doing. He's in control. That one area of your life that you stubbornly hang on to, that you push back, God's still in control. Let Gideon's example teach you. It's a bad example. But let that example teach you. We'll conclude the story of Gideon next week. God bless and see you next time.